Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. You're great. On this Sunday night. The, oh. Right? We're not recording this close to Tuesday. What? You oh, mean geez. we aren't live on Tuesday? Oh, jeez. Oh, God. The magic is gone. You ruined it. Yep, I did. And it has come to my attention that I have been attacked oh. in the Instagram comments. Slander. For, for my taco recipe that we talked about last week. And I forget what it... I honestly forget what it consisted of. But it was some... It was different it was it was kind of yucky provolone cheese <laughs> feta cheese kidney beans shrimp bell pepper and green onion we don't have to relive this nightmare but <laughs> I, we, if you're interested in hearing about alex's taco for the first few minutes of the last episode go, if this go is the only it. thing that you're interested in our podcast for listen to the last episode for this story arc yeah but it, could, could you imagine you come on to the this is your first episode listening and you're just like what <laughs> God, the f- stop with the fucking tacos already. <laughs> I, um, I don't know that it was uh, attacking so much as it was concern for your <laughs> mental well-being for making a taco like that. Um, because, my God, man, are you out of your mind? <laughs> Is it warranted? Probably. But, you know, I appreciate the concern. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, it wasn't bad. Try it. Try it yourself. Oh, I also added lime and sriracha to it, which did add a nice touch. A nice zest. So a nice little zest. So don't don't knock me. Don't so knock hard. me till you try it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. But I, I do know that this story that I'm going to talk about was suggested to me by a naughty, but I don't know who it is at this moment because i cannot find the message terrible Um, person i am trying my best so if this was you that you suggested it let me like send me another dm and then i will shout you out at the ending of next week's episode um also if you have sent me like an email or a dm i'm sorry if i haven't responded yet i will get there (laughs) it is hard sometimes to keep up but anyway should we just jump on in jump in let's go Let's do it. So this week we are going to be talking about Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn. And let me just say, buckle up because this shit's crazy, which we know and love about the fact that your favorite descriptor that these stories are all crazy. But I mean it this time. Not that I don't. Not that I don't mean it every single time because I I sure do. But um, (laughs) (laughs) oh, I sure do. Because I sure do. But. You know, this one's this one's good. So my sources for this week's episode is a 2020 episode that was called Taken, as well as a Heavy.com article by Alyssa Choinier. You pronounced that wrong. Choinier. I don't know. I apologize, um, Alyssa. Sorry about that. But so Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn uh, were both working as physical therapists in Vallejo, California when they met. And Denise was doing a very prestigious physical therapy. I don't know if it's a residency or in like an internship, but um, she was, you know, I guess starting out as a physical therapist. And Erin was working as a physical therapist in that department that she was starting to work in. And Erin was the first one to make a move. And the two quickly hit it off. 
Aaron had just recently broken up with his fiance at the time because she had cheated on him and he felt like he needed to move on. So he started a relationship with Denise. And Aaron's family loved Denise. Um, they noticed that she looked a lot like his ex-fiance, but they thought the two of them had a very mature and healthy relationship and they were very happy for Aaron. Right, okay, so this is setting up the story. <laughs> well, isn't that what I do every time? I get it, but everything was perfect until they didn't know it wasn't. <laughs> until he was an ex-murderer! <laughs> no, um, he was not. So all was going well up until about seven months into their relationship. And Denise got a bad feeling that something was going on, so she decided to do a little snooping through Aaron's phone because she had some heebie-jeebies? No. Yeah, the gut instinct. Yeah. She freaking knew something was wrong. Yeah, the old gut instinct. And she saw that Aaron had been talking to his ex and telling her that he wanted to get back together with her. Yep. So not the best feeling in the world. Naturally, she was devastated and she told him that she didn't deserve to be treated like this and she wasn't sure what she was going to do yet, but at the very least, she wanted to hear him out because at the end of the day, she still she still loved him, you know? And on March 22nd, 2015, Denise decided that she would go to Aaron's house on Mare Island, which is like a nice and quiet neighborhood just outside of Vallejo, so that they could talk everything through once and for all. And she brought a pizza and the two of them sat on the couch for most of the night talking about their relationship and how they could fix things. And they came to the conclusion that it was going to be really tough for Denise to rebuild her trust in Aaron, but if he gives their relationship a full, fair shot, then they can start over. And with that, they decided to go upstairs and go to sleep around midnight because, you know, it just had been a long emotional night. But things were good at that point, and they felt like this was a new start. Okay. And around 3 a.m., Denise and Aaron are woken up by a voice that says, wake up, this is a robbery. Why do you need them to wake up? Just rob them and leave. That's a good point. If it was a robbery, just... Wouldn't you want them to be asleep? Wake up and witness my face so you can tell people <laughs> later that I'm robbing you. The fuck is wrong with you? Honestly, bars. You knew. Bars. <laughs> like, that's, that's good. Bars. <laughs> that's good. Um, but unfortunately, they were woken up to that. So as they opened their eyes, all they could see were these white flashing lights as well as red laser beams flashing all around the room. So they're very disoriented. They're like, what? What the fuck? What purpose does this serve in your robbery? I'm getting the sense that, surprise, this is not a robbery. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So right. what the fuck is with these their lights and laser beams? Yeah, like strobe lights and, and lasers. We'll keep okay, going. Continue. Right? Sorry. That's okay. And when their eyes adjusted, they saw a man standing in their bedroom doorway wearing a wetsuit. The, f- <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, He told them that he wasn't here to hurt them. This was financial, which immediately elicited some level of compliance from them because now in their minds, they're like, okay, he won't hurt us. Let's just do what he says. And the man told Denise to tie Aaron's hands and feet together behind his back um, because he had put like zip ties on the bed. So he's like zip tie his, his feet and arms together. And she does. And now she is told to get up and walk to the closet with her head down. And he tells her not to look up. But she notices that there's actually two sets of feet that are there. So there's, 
at least two men. So now she's thinking if she sees their faces, they're going to have motivation to kill me. So she does as they say, and she keeps her eyes to the ground. And in the closet, one of the men then zip tied her and the other grabbed Aaron and got him off the bed and they made him hop to the closet to join Denise in there. And they both laid them down and now they're both on the closet floor. And while this was happening, Aaron said he heard what sounded like drilling coming from downstairs. And he was actually relieved by that because he was like, okay, great. They actually are just robbing me. But after that, the intruder puts goggles over their eyes with lenses that had been covered with black duct tape, as well as headphones over their ears. And playing through those headphones were these pre-recorded messages that were giving them instructions. The messages told them that they were going to have to drink a sedative. And if they didn't, the intruders would inject them with it which is a nightmare. Like this has very, very quickly turned into a nightmare, you know? Yeah, I mean, just the details of this are so strange. Like they have these strobe lights, lasers, he's in a wetsuit, mm-hmm. and then- Goggles and headphones. With pre-recorded messages, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, they premeditated the shit out of this. Oh yeah. There's drilling downstairs, which you don't know what's happening, but it's kind of reassuring. Like maybe they're robbing you, but like, why are they doing that? <laughs> There's just so many like, uncertainties going on right now yeah and it's just so unsettling not that a regular robbery would be any uns- less settling any less but... settling but you know no like, but this these clear these people are clearly like nuts yeah no there's definitely some weird shit happening so aaron's message started with a whisper that said aaron quick to the window and so not only are they like you know pre-recorded messages and that's super unnerving but they also know his name so it's not just like a random house that they like picked it's like oh aaron oh shit in the messages they said their names they said aaron's name so he knows that they know who he is which is fuck very scary and when one of the intruders came back into the closet he told denise that he was going to move her to the router room which was the spare bedroom because that's where the router was which is also an indicator of how planned this was because he knew the layout of the house enough to know where the this man's router was wow yeah so they've been spying on them hardcore yeah inside of their house pretty much so he moved her into the spare bedroom and then started playing her a new message through these headphones and this time this message was threatening her and saying that they were going to ask them for personal and financial information and if for some reason the intruders thought that they were lying during the questioning session they would cut their partner's face or give them an electric shock so back in Aaron's bedroom, the intruder got his got Aaron's laptop and forced him to give his social security number, bank account information, and he had already known where Aaron banked and where he had his credit cards. So now he had all of his account information and he also had him give his email password. So pretty much everything he had him give. But then Aaron hears one of the intruders say, we have a problem, we got the wrong intel. And it turns out that the intruders weren't there for Aaron and Denise. They were there for Aaron and his ex-fiance. Oh, no way. Yeah. When one of the intruders realized that they actually had Denise, They went over to Aaron and asked if Denise and his ex-fiance looked very similar, which they did, kind of. So, right. Yeah. 
And Aaron's ex-fiance used to live with him in that house and only recently had he finally gotten all of her stuff out since she had moved out after their breakup. So Denise hears them say, we need to figure out what we're going to do. And now she's hoping that since they have the wrong person, maybe they'll just leave, which was wishful thinking that she knew that that wasn't going to happen, but she's like clinging on to some kind of hope. What else can you do? Exactly. So he comes back into the room and tells Denise that they are going to take her to a second location for 48 hours and have Aaron complete some tasks while she's with them. So Denise thinks that this is the beginning of the end of her life because her mind is racing with every possible outcome of the situation that she's in and none of them seem very good. Aaron was eventually moved downstairs to the couch. And once he's down there, he was immediately told that there is a camera set up that will be watching his every move as well as a tape perimeter that they had put down on the floor that he was not allowed to leave. So he had to stay within like a rectangle in his living room. Okay. With a camera facing him, watching his every move. But he's no longer zip tied? I think at this point he is still zip tied. But he's also sedated because remember, like I said, they they made them drink sedative. Right. So there's not much he can do at this point. And also he has blackout goggles over his eyes. So he can't see anything and he can barely hear anything because he's got the headphones on. Okay. He's very disoriented. Sure. But don't move. But don't move. Because you could move. Right. Like Um, you could see where the tape was anyway. Well, he'll take off the goggles eventually. But so the intruder put duct tape around his ankles and asked Aaron if he was comfortable which is very, very weird. So I guess he, at this point, has taken the zip ties off and replaced it with duct tape. Okay. Okay. And Aaron asked for a blanket because he was shivering at that point because he's like probably in his underwear because he was woken out of his sleep. And at that point, the guy was said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how cold it was since we're wearing wetsuits. Okay. <laughs> right. Great. Which is very strange that he's like concerned about Aaron's well-being, like, being comfortable, you know? Yeah, this is weird. Mm-hmm. This is all just like strange. It's very weird. It just doesn't weird. make any sense. Yeah, I know. And then he tells Aaron that they're going to be in contact with him through text and email that they've set up specifically for him. And they've told him that he needed to stay where he was, you know, in this tape perimeter until morning and then call in sick for work once he woke up. They also gave Aaron Denise's phone and made him unlock her phone and text her boss and tell her boss that she was having a family emergency and she would be gone for a whole week. After that, he would have to go to the bank and get the money that they requested and keep his phone on him at all times. And if they saw through the camera that he tried to contact anyone, they would hurt Denise. And if he went to the police, they would kill her. And before they left, they told him they'd give him further instructions in the morning. And when Aaron hears them close the trunk, he's thinking about the fact that this could be the last time he as he will ever see Denise alive. And once they were out of his house, he used the side of the couch to get his goggles off of his eyes and saw a digital clock that said that it was exactly 5 a.m. And he's desperately trying to keep his eyes open at this point. But if we remember, he they made him drink a sedative and he's really trying to fight against it to stay awake, but it's a losing battle. So he fell asleep and he woke up when his alarm went off for work at around 7 a.m. and was able to wiggle his hands free. And he did end up texting his boss that he was sick and he couldn't come into work. But after that, he did fall asleep again because the sedative was still very much in his system. So he didn't wake up after that until 1130. When he finally did wake up, he looked around at his house covered in red tape 
for the perimeters that the intruder set up and he saw the camera and he tried to find a place where the camera wouldn't be able to see him. But shortly after Aaron woke up, the intruders started sending Aaron texts and emails for more instructions on what to do. So they are watching him because they saw him wake up and now they're sending him messages. And they told him that they wanted two payments of $8,500 to avoid the $10,000 federal reporting limit. And Aaron tried to send messages back to the intruders, but he didn't hear anything back. And 20 minutes goes by and then 30. And the whole time his mind is racing about what he should do, what's happening to Denise and what they'll do to him. And he comes to the conclusion that if he just gives them the money, they could take it and then kill him and Denise anyway. So he's like, I can't trust what these people say. Right. Obviously. I mean, they're... Makes sense. They're intruders. So Aaron's brother is an FBI agent luckily, and he finally decides that he has to call his brother, Ethan. And his brother told him that criminals like this always instruct people not to call 911 and that they're tracking, you know, they're tracking you, but he advised Aaron to call the police right now. So he hangs up the phone with his brother and as he's dialing 911, he's holding his breath because he's doing the exact thing that the intruders told him not to do. So he dials nine and one and then his thumb is hovered over the one again because he's thinking that if he goes through with this call, there is a very real chance that Denise would get killed but he has to risk it and he does go through with calling them and he's hoping that they'll come to his house and be able to help him and solve this mess. He called them at 1.50 p.m., which was nearly nine hours since Denise had been taken. And two police officers show up to his home, and the first question they ask him was, are you on drugs? And he said, yes, the kidnappers drugged me. After that, the officers immediately ripped the power cord for the camera out of the wall. And Aaron is freaking out because he's like, this, they told me they are going to watch me. And like, this is the only thing they have. And like, you're, you're going to get my, my girlfriend killed and blah, blah, blah. He's freaking out. The police then focused on the fact that there was a clean scent in the home as if the carpets had been recently vacuumed, meaning the carpet had been cleaned recently, which is sketchy. And in Aaron's bedroom, they found that there was a small amount of blood on the sheets. The comforter was missing. Aaron had Denise's phone and texted her boss that she would be gone for the week. Aaron's car was missing and they know that he waited nine hours before he called 911. So it's not looking good for Aaron. Also, I forgot to mention, they put Denise in Aaron's trunk of his car and drove away in Aaron's car. So his car is gone. Wow. I'm sorry to always ask this, but what year is it? 2015. Okay, so it is possible that his car does have like a tracking capability. I guess, but... Maybe? I mean, not not in this... Not in this case, Not in this moment, I guess. Yeah, so... All of these things are very much not looking good for Aaron, which I can see. I can see that this looks very bad for him. All signs are pretty much pointing to a domestic violence murder. And the officers tell Aaron that they're going to take him to the statement or to the station to give a statement. And by 3.30, they were at the police station. And the first thing they did was take his DNA and his clothes for evidence. And they gave him a new shirt and a new pair of pants. And when he looked down at the pants, they said Solano County Prison on it. So he's wearing prison clothes, which is telling. 
and they started questioning him. And while they were asking him these very open-ended questions, he acknowledged that what happened sounds like it came out of a movie. You know, goggles with blackout tape, headphones with pre-recorded instructions, men in full body wetsuits, cameras being set up and perimeters. It sounded like absolute insanity. It does not sound normal. Even you said that it sounded weird, you know? And this is not right. a normal situation. So the police are like, dude, where's your fucking girlfriend? <laughs> like, you probably know where she is because a lot of domestic violence or a lot of, you know, murders or whatever, like it's usually the boyfriend or the husband or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's it's a very stereotypical thing, but it's it's based in truth, you know? This is, this is what's happening for Aaron. Not very good. Then the police start asking him about their relationship and he tells them that he had been talking to his ex at the same time that he was dating Denise and he told them that Denise had gone through his phone and found the text messages between him and his ex-fiance and she was upset because she felt like he was emotionally cheating on her. And this is where they start to really pick up the interrogation because now there's motive, you know? And Aaron did admit that there had been tension in the relationship and he wasn't lying. You know, he's telling him, all of these true things, but it's just terrible timing. <laughs> you yeah, know? Like all they, signs are not helping him. Exactly, they had fixed, or they had been started to fix their relationship that night. Yeah, you know? okay, so you have motive, and your relationship was rocky. Uh-huh, and, and you made up this elaborate story. Strange, that's... you clean the house, it looks like. Right, not great. So at this point, you can understand why the police might have been suspicious and looking at him as their main suspect. About 45 minutes into questioning, the officer leans back in his chair and tells Aaron that he doesn't think he's being truthful and he doesn't believe that anyone came into his house. And while this is happening, Aaron's family is also at the police station because Ethan, who is Aaron's FBI brother, told them what was going on. So now the police are also grilling his parents on the situation and his parents were backing Aaron up. They told the police how great he was, how good of a person he was, but the police didn't want to hear that because they had already decided that Aaron killed Denise. Right, okay, so let's not investigate every possibility. Let's confirm our beliefs. Yeah, I can say with certainty this is going to make you angry. Oh boy. <laughs> so... In the interrogation with Aaron, they're offering him all these possibilities. Like, maybe you accidentally pushed her down the stairs. Maybe you were experimenting with drugs. Maybe something went wrong in the bedroom. Maybe this wasn't intentional, but they fully believed that he was behind this. They even brought up the Lacey Peterson case that happened in that, you know, general area in California. Um, I don't know if you know the Lacey Peterson case, do you? Do not. Okay, so Scott Peterson famously killed his wife and made up this whole story about what had happened to her, which was like very similar to this, uh, like that she was kidnapped and all this stuff. Um, and her body was found along with the body of her unborn son in the bay. And it turns out that he like did it. So it was, Fuck. and this didn't happen like too long before this. So they were like, you ever heard of Scott Peterson? Because you're sounding a lot like Scott Peterson. Well, just because a case like that happened doesn't mean that this is happening. Go find his car. Exactly. How about go find the car? How about you take a look at his phone that's being blown up with messages and emails from the kidnappers? We remember that? Because that's happening. Explain that one. 
So they keep calling the men in the wetsuits the frogmen because the police at this point are kind of making fun of him. They're like, the frogmen didn't do this. You did this. And they're calling him like a monster. They're fully like, at this point, they're like, you did it. You killed her. You're disgusting. And we're going to make you admit it. And that's when police notified Denise's family that she was missing and to expect the worst. And also that Aaron was the main suspect in the case. Why would they tell her that? Denise's family? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess... For the immediate family members of a person that's missing, you would share details of the investigation that nobody else knows. But I don't know, this just feels like you have no, you have all circumstantial evidence. Mm -hmm. This is a running theme in this case that the Vallejo PD has decided that Aaron killed Denise and they are, they are putting on blinders to any other Possibility. possibility and also like screaming it from the rooftop, what they believe. Wow. It's, this is going to be throughout the entire story that this is happening. Oh, I'm going to get, I'm I'm not going to be happy. Yeah, so we'll just keep going. Aaron felt like he was living in a real nightmare. He didn't even realize that the police had found blood in his house because the blood they found on his sheets was an old stain that he couldn't get out. Little did he know that this quarter-sized bloodstain from forever ago was what would make him seem like a murderer, you know? He's like, I don't even know what they're talking about. And then he's like, oh shit, that stain. Yeah. Was it her blood? It probably was, but like, you know, You should be able to date it. I mean, I I don't know. know how old that is. I don't know how that shit works. I don't know if you can tell the difference between like, let's say period blood or like a nick on your leg from like shaving or like, you know what I mean? Like. I don't think you'd be able to tell the difference, but like if it's like a quarter size stain and like she's a woman, she probably bled on the sheets once. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, and I mean, you know, accidents happen. But also like my thing is you should be able to tell how fresh it is. Like I don't know. if it was within twenty four hours, I would imagine it looks different than if it was been washed probably. multiple times. So whatever. Yeah, I don't know how much testing they did on it other than like the fact that it was probably Denise's. But you know, this is on top of everything else that looks terrible for Aaron. This is just another one of those things that like proves to the Vallejo PD that he did it. Yeah, but like you shouldn't I mean, we all know this, but like, you shouldn't just be questioning him. You should be No, of course, but pursuing other avenues. Yes, yes, yes. So because there is a potential kidnapping involved, the FBI was also on this case. Please tell me they're better. Well, they asked Aaron if he'd be willing to take a lie detector test, and he agreed, although he said later on that if he wasn't so sleep-deprived, he would have said no because he believes they're nonsense. And I mean, he, they are. Yeah, and he kept cooperating because he just wanted the police to help him find Denise. He wanted to, like, give them as much and show how helpful he was being. That way they would think he was telling the truth because he was. Right. Yeah. And he failed the polygraph test because one, he was on drugs and sleep deprived and terrified and no one believed him and they're accusing him of killing his girlfriend. So yeah, I mean, coerced confessions are like a very big problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So once he failed the polygraph, they doubled down on him and they were already going really hard. At this point, Aaron is doubting his own sanity because he has no idea what's happening. He's at the point where he's like, there's nothing more I can tell you, so I guess I need a lawyer. Yes, thank God. I was just about to be like, 
lawyer where up. Is his, yes, where is his lawyer? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I can't even put myself here. But, like, I feel that any time I would be in the police station and they are obviously thinking of me as a suspect, immediately shut the fuck up and get a lawyer. Yeah. Period. Yeah, like, I see why people don't do that right away because you don't want to seem like you're guilty and, like, lawyer lawyering up could insinuate that you have something to hide and you need a lawyer so like i get why he didn't initially but you know at this point it was very smart of him to lawyer up because he knows that they're actively pursuing him as the only suspect correct and if the legal system is working as intended you are innocent until proven guilty true so the fact that i'm lawyering up should not make a difference. It's true. I, yeah, I see that too. I mean, obviously it makes a difference in their minds. For sure. But I mean, their minds were made up at this point, so it didn't really matter. So he's like, I'm not going to say anymore until I have a lawyer. So the, the detective leaves the room and they convince Aaron's brother, Ethan, to go in and see if he can get a confession out of Aaron because he's an FBI agent. So he's like also on the case. And he when he walks in... Okay, stop there. His brother is on the case. He's an FBI agent. There's no conflict of interest here? Well, I don't know if he's specifically working on the case, but he's an FBI agent, so he's allowed to like go in there and, I guess, question his brother. This seems ethically very tenuous. Mm-hmm. Continue. Right. So he walks in and he hugs Aaron, who immediately starts sobbing and saying that he's telling the truth and he doesn't know what to do. Ethan then called up Daniel Russo, who is known to be a really good attorney. If something's going to shit, you want him to represent you, apparently. (laughs) So he got Daniel Russo, which is great. Bring him in. Um, And Ethan wasn't like going to question his brother. He was like, I'm going to make sure he's okay because he's my brother and I believe him. So he comes in and he tells the police that if Aaron isn't under arrest, meaning Daniel Russo comes in, it's time for him to leave the station because he's been there all day i'm probably like all night at this point like he needs to go home and get some sleep especially because he's been drugged like he's not in the right state of mind yeah and you can only hold someone for 24 hours right yeah i mean he's not i've heard that before i don't really know but yeah that's probably right i I mean if you're not under arrest they can only hold you for so long kind of thing he then took Aaron back to his office where he had him tell the entire story. And even Daniel Russo was like, yeah, this is very hard to believe. Um, and he told Aaron and his family that this is going to be a nightmare and there's no way you can pinch yourself and wake up. So prepare for the worst unless there is some sort of proof that Denise is alive. Luckily for them, later that day, they would have proof that Denise was alive. At about 12.30 on March 24th, so later that day, Something incredible happened. The San Francisco Chronicle received a message from the kidnapper with what was considered proof of life. They received a recording of Denise saying, my name is Denise Huskins and I'm kidnapped, otherwise I'm fine. Not only that, but she also gave information that was relevant to present day. So they knew that this was a recorded message from pretty much that day. Um, She had talked about a plane crash that had happened in the French Alps earlier, I think that day or the day before. So now they know that she is actually alive. And the police hear this and immediately call Aaron back to the station. Denise's family was also in shock because only hours before this, they were told your daughter is dead and her boyfriend killed her to now, oh, she's alive. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Right. At the station, the police said they wanted to send a message back and they wanted Aaron to look at his phone, which the police had in their possession because he gave it to them willingly. He's like, yeah, take my phone, go look through it. And when they gave it back to him, he realized that it was on airplane mode. 
which means that the phone wasn't receiving incoming messages. Right. Whoever took the phone from him put it on airplane mode. For what? I don't know. Why did you do that? Exactly. Maybe they didn't want to have like the location services on it? I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I honestly don't know what the reasoning behind that was because he told them that the kidnapper was going to be contacting him through his phone. He told them all of this and yet his phone still ended up on airplane mode unable to receive messages. So I don't really know what the reasoning there was, but as soon as he takes it off airplane mode, the phone unsurprisingly explodes with incoming messages. And now they're questioning Denise's family, but the questions are asking them are insinuating that this whole kidnapping was staged. The detective asked Denise's mother if anything bad had ever happened to Denise, and her mother informed them that she had been molested as a child on a camping trip, And this is when Detective Mustard, who was the head detective on the case, had absolutely gone nuts, in my opinion, because he suggested that someone who had been molested in the past may have wanted to relive that experience and relive the thrill of it again by staging something like this. He said those words. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Honestly, the thrill. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely mind-boggling and disgusting beyond belief. Yes, I agree. Detective Mustard has denied making this statement, but Denise's mother said that he said that. And I don't know why she would lie about that. Exactly. And also there are plenty of other statements that the Vallejo PD denies saying or doing. And, you know, they just seem like not the best organization at this time. No, I don't know what they're like now, but also not a great track record. Not that long ago. Not that that's true. 2015 was not that long ago. So Denise is clearly still alive. And rather than shift into, oh shit, what if Aaron told us the truth? They shifted into clearly this must be a hoax and Denise is in on it. Okay, so we've now jumped from one conclusion that was proven wrong mm-hmm. to the next conclusion that we will not question. Exactly. But the, And even though there's all these messages coming in from the kidnapper, they're like, oh, no, this is all fake. Did they ask who those might be coming from? Not really. Did they track the number? I don't think so. Did they so. try and call it and get a location? I don't think they did much. Hmm. Hmm. The next day, on March 25th, news had broken that Denise Huskins had reappeared alive in Huntington Beach, which was about 400 miles away from where she had been kidnapped. And that's when media absolutely exploded, and they started calling Denise the real-life Gone Girl. And for those of you who don't know, Gone Girl is a book and also a movie that's about a woman, I don't Spoiler. Yeah, here, spoiler. Beep, 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 spoiler alert. If you don't want to know about Gone Girl and you want to watch it or read it on your own, skip about 30 seconds ahead. How about that? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Gone Girl is a book and also a movie that's about a woman who fakes her own murder and kidnapping and pins it on her husband who is cheating on her. And then she leaves, you know, to let the media and the police believe that her husband has committed her murder. It's a really good movie, highly recommend. But so they're calling her the Gone Girl. They're like, you did this and this is what it is. So Denise's kidnapper decided that he couldn't take her back to Vallejo because there were too many police, you know, around there, I guess, looking into the case, or at least that's what he believed. So he took her to Huntington Beach instead where Denise's family lives. 
and he had stopped the car, put tape over her eyes, and given her sunglasses. And he put her out of the car with her bags, and he told her that they'd be monitoring her. And that's when she hears them drive away. So she slowly counted to 10 and then peeled the tape off of her eyes and realized that she was by herself. And she grabbed her bags and tried to figure out where she was. So she started walking until she saw the street sign on the corner that said Utica, which was the street that she grew up on. So now she knows that she's within walking distance of her mother's house in Huntington Beach. This was a street that she had walked down hundreds of times and she is still sedated as she's walking down the street and thinking about how all she wants to do is hug her mom and dad and finally feel safe. So she went to her mother's house, but nobody was there. And she saw someone working outside either on on their house or the house next door and she asked if she could use their cell phone to call her parents. So she called her dad and left him a voicemail, and she said that she was going to start walking to his house. And when her dad heard this voicemail, he goes into an absolute panic because he's like, I have five minutes to contact the Huntington Beach police to get them to where she is before, you know, I don't know, the kidnapper comes back or whatever. Like, he's just freaking out. He doesn't know what's happening. And his... Call the cops. Yeah, exactly. And his police or, and her parents are in Vallejo hours away because they came when they heard that she was kidnapped. Right. So they're nowhere near. And so when she gets to her dad's house, she knocks on the door and again, no answer. And his neighbor asked what she was doing. And she said she was looking for her dad and she asked to use their phone. And so she goes into the neighbor's house and used the restroom. And when she came out, there was already Huntington Beach police at this neighbor's house. But the police are still skeptical because Denise has her overnight bags with her and seemed somewhat normal, I guess, because she was still pretty sedated. And she told them the same crazy story that Aaron had told the Vallejo police. And she told them everything from being woken up at 3 a.m. with flashing white lights, the goggles, everything. She said that she was put into the trunk and she was going in and out of consciousness because of the sedative. But she knew that they had been driving for hours and hours and finally felt the car coming to a stop and knew that they were at their destination. The whole time she was with them, they were constantly giving her this liquid sedative. So she was never really like... Fully with it. Very, yeah, very lucid. And the police asked her if they sexually assaulted her and she told them no. And she said it was weird because all things considered, they treated her pretty nicely. And she asked them if they were going to kill her and they told her no because they had no reason to. Even though she seemed pretty calm, she did express that she is and was very scared throughout the entire thing and about everything that happened. And she did mention that she wanted to see a lawyer before they kept going with this conversation. She also kept asking to see her parents because that's all she wanted at this point. That's when her cousin Nick was brought in and she said she finally could take a deep breath because she really needed to be with someone who she knew and felt safe with. And her cousin was also an attorney, so it was kind of a double whammy. She was like, great. Oh, great. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I love that Aaron has an FBI brother and Denise has an attorney cousin. So it's a power couple. Very good. Connections. Connections powerful. Exactly. All the information is turned over to the Vallejo police and they request an interview with her as well as for her to do an interview with the FBI. And her cousin Nick starts 
talking to Detective Mustard, and the first thing he tells Nick is, we'll give immunity to whoever confesses first to making this whole thing up. Okay, so interview is off with the Vallejo PD at the very least. Mm -hmm. Does the FBI also have these blinders on? There isn't much about what the FBI was doing in this whole thing, but they said that they weren't really like affiliated with the Vallejo PD entirely. So I don't know what to believe at this point if they were like as gung-ho with like going with this Gone Girl conspiracy or if they were actually looking into other things. But at this point, the Vallejo PD is like the star of the show kind of thing. Yeah, and I'd imagine if there's like some you know, state versus federal tension, like who should handle the investigation and always turns into some kind of dick measuring contest that's yeah. not helpful for anyone. Exactly, yeah. Well, um, not always, but you know, <laughs> it would seem that that does happen yeah. a lot. Absolutely. Um, I say as if I know anything, but um, so <laughs> when Denise catches wind that the detective on the case is saying that he'll give immunity to whoever confesses this is made up. Denise is absolutely shocked by that because she said it was obvious at that point she needed to get a defense attorney, which is insane because she was just released from captivity. She never even imagined that she would have to be defending herself in this situation. On what charges? Well, she's like, if they believe that this is a hoax, then they could potentially press charges if they can prove that, you know, like they're for what I don't know exactly for what, but I think they could because they're, they threaten it down the line. We're going to get into it a little more, but I'm just like really confused. Like even if this theory is true, what laws has she broken? I guess like lying to a police officer, like wasting resources. Like, I don't really know exactly what, what it yeah. would be like considered, but that is a thing that is a possibility at this point. Okay. So she's like, I need to really lawyer up and get a defense lawyer kind of thing. And the FBI offered Denise a flight on their plane back to Vallejo, like I guess a, pr a private plane, but her attorney advised her to turn that down and to take a commercial flight. The FBI, I guess, spun that as well as the Vallejo PD. In a press conference, Lieutenant Kenny Park told news sources that Denise had stopped cooperating with them and she denied the flight that they offered her and they lost contact with her and her family, which was untrue. She was just in the air. They didn't lose contact with her. She was on a flight, <laughs> on a flight. I guess, like, technically true, but extremely misleading. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know what the word is, unethical. Yeah. They also said at this point they would no longer be referring to Aaron and Denise as victim and witness, which is very, like, oh my God. misleading as well. You act as if you know, but mm -hmm. you don't. Mm -hmm. They made it very clear that the only people being investigated were Denise and Aaron in this quote-unquote elaborate hoax. And throughout that entire press conference, Lieutenant Kenny Park never outright called Aaron and Denise liars, but the entire press conference was worded in a way that suggested the entire thing was made up and the kidnapping never actually happened. He also said that they had, quote, wasted resources for nothing and how upsetting that is. And all this happened before the Vallejo police even spoke to Denise. Right. <laughs> it was the same day that she was released by the kidnappers. She wasn't even back in Vallejo yet. And they were already spinning it like that? Mm-hmm. 
Wow. I'm astounded that that, that they fucked up that quickly. I know. Again. That hard? That quick? Really? Yeah. That's embarrassing. It's bad. Yeah. Um, he said that it was Aaron Quinn and Denise Huskins who owed this community an apology. Isn't that nuts? Wow. I can't even imagine being in these families or being Aaron or Denise. Yeah. Both Denise and Aaron's families were watching this press conference and were absolutely furious with what was being said about them. Because police don't go on camera and give press conferences about something unless they are absolutely certain that what they're saying is true. And they clearly broke that rule. And they clearly didn't have any sort of proof or anything. It was all just kind of a gut feeling. I guess they had like the weird story and like all the things, but like they really took this hoax thing and ran with it. Like, I, I wonder if the book or the movie Gone Girl didn't exist. I wonder if they would have thought that. Yeah, I still can't believe that they said what they said in the press conference. I know. It's super fucked up. Yeah. And Denise had no idea that this was happening. Oh, yeah, she's still in the air. Yeah, because they did this press conference as she was making her way back to Vallejo to meet with her attorney. And the last thing Denise was thinking while worrying about if she would survive was if her story was believable, you know? She's just trying to, like, literally survive captivity. And she's now, like, in the spotlight as the bad guy. Yeah, I don't give a fuck if your story is believable. Like, you need to verify and corroborate it with concrete facts and, I don't know. Evidence. Evidence, right? So... So now the police and the media were picking their lives apart while they're not only terrified for that, but also because the kidnappers are still out there and they had all of their information. They were just living in a constant state of fear. And Denise's plane landed in San Francisco at 9.30 that night. And she walked into her attorney's Doug Rappaport's office. And the first thing he told her was that the Vallejo police had just held a press conference and completely threw you under the bus. Doug Rappaport said he isn't someone who just blindly believes his clients. So he wanted to know what she had to say about the entire thing. So he had her go through her story a number of times, and he said that she was telling it with such emotion that it was so real and he like fully believed her. And not only were the facts consistent, but he said the most telling thing was when she was taken to this new location. She had been in the car for hours and he took her out of the trunk and he kind of stumbled with her and put her into the garage and laid her on the cold concrete floor. And she told him that she was cold. So he put a blanket over her before he went inside to start cleaning. And Denise said that in that moment, she thought that he was cleaning up from his last victim and she was laying there waiting to be next she promised herself that no matter what they did to her, she wasn't going to beg and scream because she thought that those would be the last moments that she would be living and she wanted to stay calm and grateful for the life that she had. Oh my God. Very intense. Um, So after her talking about this, Doug Rappaport was convinced that she was absolutely telling the truth. Yeah, also people who are lying usually do not have a consistent story. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Or they add in like weird, unnecessary details. Yeah. She then told Doug that she didn't tell the officers two things because her captor told her not to tell those two things and she was petrified of this person. Number one was that he was in the Marines and number two was that she had been raped. 
he told Denise that since she was the wrong person that they were going after and they didn't have anything on her to make her comply, one of them was going to have to have sex with her and record it. That way she wouldn't go to the police and they would release that tape if she did. She said the man acted remorseful and hesitant as if he didn't want to do it. So seeing this, she shared that she had been molested as a child thinking that this may stop him, but that didn't work. And that didn't happen just once. It was multiple times throughout the days that she was with them. I want to puke. This like second bit is really disgusting. So just so you oh, know, um, they told her that the tape didn't look believable so that they, so they'd have to do it again. But this time she would have to act as if she was enjoying it. Um, which is absolutely just torture and so cruel. And I, I can't even believe that someone had to go through that. Um, but after two days of captivity, the man came back to Denise and told her that he was going to release her. And that was always the plan. But as the clock was ticking, Denise realized that if that release didn't happen after 48 hours, she would have to fight. So this entire time, she's mentally preparing herself for the worst but after the second day, she was woken up around 2 a.m. and he told her that he would be releasing her down in Huntington Beach where her family lived. And the whole ride there, she, would, she was still in and out of consciousness because of the sedative that she was consistently on. Um, and when he stopped the car, he let her out and he told her her strength was admirable and he wished that they met under different circumstances. The fuck do you say to that? Yeah. Um, so that is horrendous. And I... I <sighs> The fact that she had to go through that and then now she is facing possible criminal charges for a hoax that she, you know, quote unquote, orchestrated and she's the bad guy and all of this is fake and made up and they're throwing her name like through the mud and she's being ripped apart on every news source. Yeah, I mean, these this department should be ashamed of itself. Yeah. Period. Mm-hmm. It's horrendous. I can't even believe it. And the news sources were, or the news stations were going crazy with this story because, you know, the, the idea that Denise orchestrated this entire kidnapping and she was a real life gone girl is, you know, enticing to a news station. You know, they're like, well, this is crazy. Like, so everyone was talking about it. So much so that even Aaron started doubting her. He thought that maybe she was trying to get back at him. He's he's kind of entertaining these thoughts. Like he doesn't like it, but he's also like, I guess I have to consider it. But he said that the fact that he ever questioned Denise is something that he will carry with him until the day he dies. And he completely regrets it. And like, he can't believe that he ever even doubted her. Yeah, I mean, that's so tough because you can't really... I feel like you can totally be forgiven if all of these people are, you know, so fervently believing this story. You know, I think you can be forgiven for starting to consider it. Yeah. Denise was at her attorney's office that night from 10 p.m. until 5 a.m. the next morning, and her attorney requested from the Vallejo police that they set up a sexual assault exam because that would disprove their theory that this was a hoax. But the police disregarded this, this request. When her attorney came back at them with, well, you're going to lose the DNA or the fibers if you wait too long, the police, according to her attorney, said, just have her sleep in her clothes and don't shower and we'll think about setting up that exam in the morning. Again, Vallejo police denied saying this, but who knows? It's alleged, you know? It's alleged. Yeah. 
If that's true, they should be fired. That's my opinion. Yeah, I guess I can't say what I think, but I guess it's probably what everyone's thinking. Her attorney told Denise that she didn't have to talk to the police, but the only way they'd ever have a chance at catching this guy was if she did talk to them. So she went in to speak with them. And now she had to endure another two straight days of questioning after already enduring two days of torture. And they spoke to her like she was any other suspect. They never showed her any compassion or understanding. And the only thing they wanted to do was trip her up and catch her in a lie. The FBI agent told Denise's attorney after the interviews that he was 99% certain that she was lying and you should watch the movie Gone Girl. So I guess that wow. I guess that answers our question about what the FBI believed. But Denise... Oh, that was from the FBI? Yeah. Denise, at that time, didn't even know what that meant because she had never seen the movie or read the book. Wow. So, <laughs> there's that. On Thursday, March 26th, the San Francisco Chronicle received another email from the kidnapper. Now, this is post-release. They're getting emails from the kidnapper. And it was filled with details about the kidnapping. And he wrote, this isn't a hoax. They aren't lying. This guy was trying to defend his victims, which is obscene and even the kidnappers and the people who raped denise were offended that the vallejo police didn't believe what happened what which is just f- which is just insane what like, is this case i know that's what, what is I'm happening saying. well they wanted they wanted credit for their work i think it was more that i think they were kind of clearing their names a little bit but i think it was more like we want credit kind of thing wow so this story just keeps getting more and more surreal like it, it is just insane Yeah, this does not seem real. I know. They gave explicit details about the kidnapping and even included photos of evidence and showed the room where Denise was being held. The email said that they had been committing crimes for some time leading up to this kidnapping, and they started as car thieves but weren't getting enough money and then started to get into kidnapping for ransom. They called themselves Ocean's Eleven Gentlemen Criminals which is fucking stupid. Wow. I literally, for the past 10 minutes, every single new detail that you've given me, I don't know how to react to because I just can't wrap my head around the fact that it's happened. I know. And that's how everyone felt. Everyone's like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Even Denise and Aaron were like, uh... I mean, how, especially them. Well, especially them. But, you it's know, their reality, but just everyone hearing about it, it's just, this just doesn't, it doesn't even pierce reality. I really. know. I know. It seems like it's a movie. Like, or, yeah. you know, even, even if this was a movie, it'd be like, all right, guys, reel it in, you know? Yeah. Like, like it's a bit much. Okay. Like, curtains, like, tell the truth. Right. You know? Exactly. So, uh, these emails came through while Denise was being interviewed. Okay. So, you'd think that this would vindicate her and help the police see that something else was going on here, but it didn't. They still didn't believe that she was telling the truth, even though this email came through while she was in the room with them. They saw it and read it. Yes. And didn't change their... Opinion, yes. Um, oh this And this whole time, Denise and Aaron haven't seen each other. They're, they've still been separated. So they finally were going to set up a time to see each other, but they were both so scared with what the other thought of them. Denise was so scared that Aaron actually thought she did this, and Aaron was scared that she wouldn't ever want to see him again. But they did finally get to see each other, and the first thing they did was embrace and just cry with each other, and they were okay. But weeks pass, and nothing new comes to light. 
the police still don't believe this is real and certainly aren't looking into whoever did this because they don't think that there is another person. So Denise and Aaron are still very scared for their lives. Aaron was about to be fired from his job because nobody believed them and he and also they didn't want their reputation to be tainted by Aaron being there. So they were looking for any reason to fire him. So their lives are falling apart. Both of them just couldn't function. They were both fully expecting at some point for the police to come and arrest them and finally have like something to charge them with. So they're they're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, how do we even live at this point? And a little over two months after this, there was a home invasion in Dublin, California. Dublin is about an hour south of Leho, and an older couple was woken up in the middle of the night to bright flashing shining lights and you know, red laser beams in their faces. But this time when the man attempted to tie up the couple, the husband jumped across the bed and tackled this man. Um, And the wife was then able to slip away and run to the bathroom and call 911. The suspect tried to get away by hitting the woman's husband in the head with a flashlight and he started running. This man had gotten a good head injury out of it, but definitely put up a fight. And in the struggle, the attacker ended up scrambling and leaving behind a cell phone. Law enforcement was able to quickly find out who this phone belonged to, and it was a woman in Orangeville, California. When the police reached out to her, she told them that her son, Matthew Muller, had lost his phone the day before. And so I guess she was letting him use her phone. And the police quickly learned that Matthew Muller had joined the Marine Corps for five years and was discharged honorably as a sergeant. He graduated summa cum laude from Pomona College in California and had years of military experience. He then went to Harvard Law School where he went into immigration law. He got married and had a very successful life that was just getting started. Muller claimed that in 2008, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and by 2015, his life was kind of falling apart. He had been disbarred by California State Bar for failing to return $1,200 to a client, and he had been separated from his wife. His mother was able to tell the police that he had been staying in their family cabin in South Lake Tahoe. So they went there and they were going to serve a search warrant because of, you know, the home invasion that he's been tied to. And Misty Karasu was a day away from becoming a a detective at this point. But when her boss called and asked if she wanted to be a part of this random search, she was like, sure. And the house was a typical cabin in the woods. It looked quiet and looked like there wasn't anybody home. But uh, when the police kicked down the door, they saw that the whole place was completely cluttered on the inside. There was debris everywhere. And when they saw Matthew Muller coming out of one of the bedrooms, they asked if he knew why they were there. And he said yes. But after that, he shut down and basically only had a blank stare on his face. So that's all he gave them at that point. As investigators continued the search around this home, Misty Karasu said she got really bad feelings while being inside there. They found a lot of ski masks, a few stun guns, a number of laptops and cell phones. One of the laptops was stuffed between the box springs and the mattress of his bed, and he was driving a stolen Ford Mustang, and in the trunk was a large green bag that had a blow-up doll in it, 
and it was stuffed in there, but it was the kind that had stiff wires and could stand on its own. He also had zip ties, duct tape, and a number of replica squirt guns that looked like real guns. And one of them had a pen style laser pointer that was taped to it. He had several swim goggles that were duct taped black. And one of the pairs had a blonde hair strand still stuck to the duct tape. Okay. And Denise is blonde. Okay. Okay. Maybe we should test that. Maybe. And the home invasion in Dublin didn't include anyone with blonde hair. So because of this, Misty Karasu realizes that this man has done this before, but she doesn't know to who yet. And she made it her mission to figure that out because she didn't know about the Gone Girl case that was happening in Vallejo. She just, it's not like she just immediately put it together. It was like, we got to figure this out kind of thing. Right, because I think, you know, PDs across locales don't share information very well. Right. There was enough evidence at the time to tie him to the Dublin, you know, kidnap or not kidnapping, the Dublin invasion and you know, so many officers would have just left it there because that case was now closed. But Misty kept digging. Thank you, Misty. Jesus Christ. Yep. She put Matthew Muller's name into a database and he came back as being a person of interest in a string of unsolved crimes in nearby cities. In both Palo Alto and Mountain View, Muller had been listed as a person of interest in cases that included a man breaking into homes in the middle of the night, bound the female victims, cover their eyes, and threatened to rape them. They hadn't been able to charge him in any of these, but he was the suspect for all of these crimes. There was also a recovered stolen Mustang. I said that weird. Mustang? And it turns out that the man who owned the Mustang was a college student on Mare Island, which is where Aaron's house was. He mentioned that there was a kidnapping that happened at the same time that his car had been stolen and a kidnapping case that had been labeled a hoax by Vallejo PD. And so it caught Misty's interest. And she looked it up and saw all the media coverage calling Denise the gone girl and saw the officer who gave the awful press conference. So Misty attempts to contact Vallejo PD, but they don't get back to her even after a few times. And when she finally does get through to them, they tell her she has to contact the FBI. So she does, and she tells them that she has a suspect in custody that may be of interest to you for the Vallejo kidnapping case that you called a hoax. And the FBI was like, we didn't call it a hoax, the Vallejo PD did. So they're like, we do not take credit for that. But they also kind of were a part of it, so who knows. But one rep from the Vallejo PD, as well as two FBI agents, came down to their station. And when they were shown the pictures of the evidence they had, they were completely shocked. All of these details that Denise and Aaron had provided for them are now being corroborated. And now there is proof that it happened. And maybe when somebody's delivering that proof, they can smack them across the face. Yeah, they deserve it. So three months after this whole mess, Aaron and Denise get a call from Denise's attorney that the police want to talk to them again because they have found the man who did this. And they didn't give them any real details, but they said they had found Aaron's computer at this man's house, and they also found a set of goggles with a long blonde hair in it. And the fact that it was in Lake Tahoe also made sense because Denise had said that she was in the trunk of the car for a couple of hours before they arrived. So everything lined up. Everything Denise described fit this place to a T. 
they also discovered that this car had GPS, and one of the addresses set in it was East Utica Avenue, which is near Denise's family home in Huntington Beach. So there's no denying that this is who did it. Yeah. They have found him, finally. And they didn't find him. Misty Karasu did. Yeah. Despite their negligence. Yeah. So this news broke immediately. And July 13th, 2015, Denise and Aaron's attorneys held a press conference of their own and said that they expected full apologies from the Vallejo PD. Dan Russo and Doug Rappaport took turns pummeling the Vallejo PD and they loved it the whole time. There was so much they could have done to prove that Aaron and Denise were telling the truth, but they were so stuck on this snap judgment. And it it was just fucking terrible. I mean, we've already talked about it, but like, Jesus Christ, there was so much they could do. Just the fact alone that they had Aaron's cell phone that he gave them and told them that the kidnapper would be contacting them through his phone was enough. And then they put it on airplane mode. That's insane to me how do you what where where does that make sense in what world even if it was a hoax don't you want every possible piece of evidence you can gather no it's an abject failure it's so stupid and throughout this entire press conference denise said she didn't want to look down she wanted to look every reporter in the eyes and show them that she isn't just a picture she is an actual person and not a liar and She wanted to say without words, here I am, this really happened to me. Now they have Matthew Muller, but the police are saying he acted alone, even though Denise and Aaron said that there were other people there that night. And it would have been impossible for him to do this alone. So the fact that the police are now saying that it was just him is also just lazy. Strike three? Yeah. Like what? (laughs) Strike seven. Yeah, I know. Not, not three. In 2017, in Sacramento, California, Matthew Muller was charged in federal court with the kidnapping for ransom of Denise Huskins. He wasn't charged for sexual assaults at that time because there was no jurisdiction in the federal court for those crimes. Um, so that didn't happen. But no one else was found or charged for anything. And Denise and Aaron have had to just learn how to live with that fact. Wait, they never looked into another person? They never, yeah, I guess, yeah. They never found another person. They're like, great, problem solved, I guess. Wow. (laughs) When Mueller's indictment was sealed, the police held a press conference and they didn't send out Lieutenant Kenny Park, who is the guy who gave the initial press conference. They sent out Captain John Whitney to answer questions. And the reporters grilled him on if the department still stands by the statements they made so publicly that this was a hoax and that Denise and Aaron had wasted resources. And this man said, yes, but we are going to continue to investigate this, which makes makes my blood boil. And not only that, but the reporter asked, do you think that the, the police department owes this couple an apology? And the man said, we're going to reevaluate that when the investigation is complete and then go from there. Fuck you. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh my god. Wow, that's infuriating. So he they're still on their theory? I don't know. They're not taking any accountability. No accountability. No accountability Nothing whatsoever. At all. So we've publicly stated and made a circus. Yeah. Of these two people's lives mm-hmm. with information that we did not know was correct. Mm-hmm. We ruined their lives. 
They couldn't. The but Aaron we don't owe them filed. an apology. We don't owe them an apology. <laughs> yes. We've done terrible police work. We've considered no other um, Possibility. possibilities. We've been wrong with two theories mm-hmm. and now a third. Yep. And now we're just like, nope. Yeah, make it make sense. Also, we were talking about how they had Aaron's phone in their in their possession. The kidnapper called him three times while he was in police custody. So they could have just answered the phone. Wow. It's insane. Yeah. So they, they fully could have found Denise and prevented what happened to this couple in, this couple in Dublin completely. But they just didn't care to do that. Um, the Vallejo PD never actually reached out and apologized to Denise and Aaron. Um, the city attorneys wrote a letter of apology that the chief of police signed. But that was it. And it said that there was a kidnapping that happened... Uh, And the words of Kenny Parks used in the press conference were harsh and offensive, but it was a private apology and not public and also wasn't in any like words of their own. It was just in the attorney's words kind of thing. Cowards. Exactly. So, So Aaron and Denise sued the city for defamation. And the couple settled their lawsuit against the Vallejo PD, Detective Mustard, and Lieutenant Park for $2.5 million with no party admitting any wrongdoing. Wait, what? You didn't admit any wrongdoing? I guess that was... But you paid $2.5 million. I guess that was the settlement. They were like, we won't have to say that we were wrong, but you get $2.5 million. I mean, I would totally take that, but like... Of course. I mean, it's just It's just messy. Yeah, it just just, doesn't, it's not, it just doesn't seem like justice was served. Yeah. um, You you don't even have to admit that you were wrong when you were so clearly wrong. Yeah. Six years later, the current police chief, Shawnee Williams, wrote, I would like to extend my deepest apology to Miss Huskins and Mr. Quinn for how they were treated during this ordeal. But that was not a reflection of how the police department in 2015 felt because Detective Mustard, the lead investigator on this case, was named Officer of the Year in 2015. After this. This case happened in 2015, and after this, that same year, he was named Officer of the Year. So I don't know if he solved the greatest murder of all time or whatever after this, but the same year he was named officer of the year was he also named worst officer of the year should have been His only officer of the year yeah. that they have <laughs> like, only officer like ever. congratulations you absolutely i mean did they do anything right during this entire case i don't think so like no i don't i don't on march 16th of 2017 almost exactly two years after aaron and denise went face to face with matthew muller in court and gave their victim impact statements muller did enter a plea of guilty and received a 40-year sentence um, and denise was insanely strong and even said to the judge your honor for healing purposes i'm going to address matthew muller directly she stared him down because The days that she was being held captive, she was blindfolded the entire time, and she wanted to make sure that he looked into her eyes. God, I can't even imagine. But thankfully, Denise and Aaron stayed together and then went on to get married, which is very happy. And they said that their wedding was a perfect day. Everyone who supported them throughout the past years were there, including their attorneys, uh, including their attorneys and Misty Karasu, which is nice. Wait, Misty was at their wedding? Sure was. (laughs) Yep. That's awesome. And they have a daughter now who is actually born five years to the day of Denise's release from the kidnapping, which felt like a very like 
full circle moment and almost a rebirth. Wow. Yeah. That's so strange. I know, right? Denise wrote a book called Victim F and it talks about her entire experience. And she said, although most of the book is very tragic and intense, her daughter is the happy ending. That's very touching. Yeah, I'm going to tear up. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, Lieutenant Park is no longer working at the Vallejo Police Department. He's the guy who gave the press conference, but Detective Mustard is. So, super fun. Um, really? Yeah, but... <laughs> Still employed. Yeah. Doing great police work, I'm sure. I'm sure. Does he just assume that every case is a movie that he's seen? <laughs> like, what are I'm we doing here? Not sure. Um, but that is the intense and insane story of Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn. Yeah, I'm, I kind of want to see, is there a video of that press conference where their attorneys like grill the PD, like the Vallejo PD? Yeah. I mean, it's in the 2020 episode, at least clips of it, as well as clips of the um, press conference from Lieutenant Kenny Park ripping Denise and Aaron apart. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I want to watch those back to back. Mm -hmm. This story is... (laughs) Tangled. Crazy? Crazy. Crazy. I know. I'm trying to find different words. I think I'm doing Uh, better. It's so convoluted and just... It is. With like riddled with random details that don't make sense but it just ha- it's reality and the police department doesn't know what's going on and yeah. this random detect or misty wasn't even a detective yet technically yeah. was the one who really yeah. came through but they didn't even look into the other accomplices in the right in the crime i know yeah but that that's also so crazy is that misty wasn't even a detective yet and she like wasn't even supposed to be at that like search warrant or whatever that search of the home she, she was just kind of like they were like oh you want to come she was like yeah like imagine she didn't go like yeah. they because they would have they would have gotten i guess i i can't say like what they would have done but like you know they could have just gotten the evidence for the dublin invasion and then you know gotten him for that and it closed case you know that's all they had to deal with that that was their case so short-sighted i know thank god she was there right damn but, but like i don't know if this ha- if this can happen how many other police departments are this incompetent it makes you wonder but um that's that's the story of them shall yeah. we uh, say our good thing yeah i'm just so happy that it, it ended in happiness and they're yeah like, their daughter happy together they have a kid yeah they have a daughter um she's very cute is she that's <laughs> yeah. great um so, yeah, my good thing this week is that the Rick and Morty season finale is coming out tonight. Oh, whoa, really? And I'm extremely excited because it's one of my favorite shows. Oh, that's so exciting. And uh, it has taken forever for them to get any season out, period. But I yeah. think this one, because of the pandemic, they were they're taking a while to come out with it. And they do... So the way, the way they're doing the finale is just basically two episodes back to back. Or at Can't least wait. that's how I understand it. And so... <laughs> in case you care to know. But... <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, it's never been that I've had a complete hour of new Rick and Morty oh, to watch Oh, God, I can't once, wait. So. It's going to be amazing. That's my good thing. Hell yeah. That's a good thing. Mine is that I got my nose pierced and I think it looks super cute and I'm very excited about it. It does. Thank you. There was a little snafu with your original piercing. You got pierced and then you got a hoop, but it was like, it wasn't a full ring. No, it was. So it's a full ring, but the way it opens is like very, it opens super easily. So I guess in my sleep, I like rolled over and it opened. And so then I had to run to the piercing shop and be like, um, please help me. That way my hole doesn't close super quick. And so 
they re-pierced it and then as there was a needle in my nose like the second time I was like um actually I think I should put in a stud because it's easier to heal that way I think and so she took that needle out and then stuck a second needle in the other way and it was just like ah and then she stuck the the stud in and now I've got a stud in my nose for the time being I, I want a hoop it'll it'll turn into a hoop but for now it's just a stud but it's it's definitely easier to take care of like for sure yeah so i'm not upset for the time being because healing it is kind of annoying but i'm excited to have it it's very cute and i love it so yeah and you look great in both thank you very much yeah <laughs> but you know we want the hoop but the stud is great Thanks. and it's much it's less painful right it's, it's just like yeah. anytime you touch your touch the hoop yeah like you would be it was tender it's yeah. it's easier to forget about the stud which is good yeah um Unless I snag it on my shirt, and then I'm like, but, but <laughs> there, there is that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, but it's good. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you would like to keep up with all the pictures that I post, with all the cases we talk about, follow us on Instagram at not today underscore podcast. If you or anyone you know has a story or uh, a suggestion or anything you'd like to share with us, send it to notodaypodcast at gmail.com or in a DM on Instagram. That's also cool. Um, we have a Twitter at not today podcast with a T on the end. The podcast is a three because that makes sense and we have a tiktok that is not today podcast and just keep breathing yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>